everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of the How We See Things podcast. Um, I would say Happy New Year to everyone listening and Happy New Year to Dan. Uh, yeah. Dan, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, bro. I mean, Happy New Year, everyone. This is officially our first high quality podcast of the year it, it, 2023 yeah, no, it, it requires competition yeah we've um yeah we've gone we've gone to higher levels um let we us know what in our production exactly we've got um a whole production team on board you know we've got synthesizers we've got you know um voice editing and the whole shebang um like a lot of people we, we decided to, to you know take 2023 by storm um yeah. a lot has happened you know this year already and it's barely like you know been a month um i think like there's there's a fever that has been brewing you know since covid um now we're out in the open but like no one is normal no one is no one is quite like like normal things like might not just be the same and i think like nothing you know encapsulates like that as much as what happened in brazil um, yeah with with the riots there um so, so basically the madness that has been like sweeping through the world like uh, through you know america with blm marches nigeria NSAS, africa um through europe you know with like brexit and war in ukraine and russia it has got to south america now and the people in south america south america sorry brazil to be specific just had an election in which the former president bolsonaro lost Yep, and a new president, um, Lula, is in power now. Apparently, you know, Bolsonaro's people, like in the army, in other parts of the government, you know, decided that they didn't want to work under this democratically elected president, so they implemented mm-hmm. the riots. Dan, I mean, did, you, did you see like you know the images from from Brazil? And, what were you thinking to yourself as you were as you're watching the events unfold? Like, because it reminds it reminds us and it reminds everyone of January six. I mean, you and you know obviously they're supposed to be parallels but yeah. you stole my bar how did you see that you stole my like the rappers yeah, yeah. you stole my yeah, yeah. you stole my bar word for word um all hail lula um and you know the rightful man mm. is on the throne um back again and i think is exactly what a humongous um important con- uh, economy to the world such as brazil means um i think the scenes that we saw in terms of the riots obviously they've been influenced by the Trumpian um, influenced or should we say agitations um, in terms of the 6th of January riots at the US Capitol building and environs and obviously the ramifications of that are still ongoing at the moment with the committee hearings and well we'll see what the GOP and the House of Representatives do about that but uh, so far you know obviously that was a I remember watching the news that day, the news cycle, and it was just unreal. It was surreal. And seeing the Brazilians, you know, try and do it in their own flamboyant <laughs> samba way was, was interesting as well. I mean, but, I mean, I mean, but, it, but it was different in some crucial ways. It was, it was, it was, it was. It was influenced, but it was definitely different nuances to it. I think worryingly is the fact that we certainly seem to have this fascist, neo-fascist, nationalized mm. nationalists even sorry correct um creeping factions that seem to be creeping in and this because if you look at the response of kind of law enforcement what are they supposed to do they can't crack down too hard and 
because then that insights or turns a riot into a full-blown you know um kind of insurrection where people start getting I think the issue in brazil was that like some of the police or the army were actually on the side involved as well i think insurrectionists I mean, yeah. there were people in the American riots, they just weren't wearing their uniform at the time. So there were members of, you know, okay. different security that's, that's apparatus. They were just... But, but it's, it's a significant, like... It is different. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it is different. It's one thing for a policeman to remove his uniform mm-hmm. and change into civilian clothes to participate in a political rally, albeit one that turns violent or is insurrectionist yeah. in nature. It's another thing for the police in its official capacity to subvert so the democratically elected um, um, president. That's that's a different order. Of, of, of yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll commend Lula. He's cracked down hard already on on, on such individuals. Yeah. Um, people have lost their jobs, rightly so. If you sign an oath to protect the constitution of the country, and that includes all apparatus of the constitution, including public buildings, government buildings, the courts, the House of Senate, blah, 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 all these functional buildings as a policeman or woman or a member of any kind of security agency, you know, you shouldn't be actively, you know, causing damage or causing insurrection to the lawfully elected government of the day. Now, the undercurrent that is there that, you know, like you say, they are on the face of it, there are a few different differences. But the idea that people don't like the outcome of an election, and we say this because we know we're coming up to the most important election in this year, as far as we're both concerned, is the Nigerian election. I, I, I'll go as far as to say on the continent. I'll go as far as to say in the world, that is the most important election. I'll, I'll raise you see in the world. Uh, in the world. I'll say, I'll say, election in the world. potentially in this decade for Africa, for what Africa means going forward, and this is not to say, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, a bunch of Nigerians talking about being the lion of Africa. That's what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, if you understand your politics, if you understand economic power, political power, if you understand um, the place that Africa has in terms of the only part of the world that's actually growing in terms of when you talk about population is Africa. When you talk about the scope for um, capitalism to actually, or any form of exponential growth to happen in terms of industry, it's in Africa. Because you look at Asia, Asia is kind of coming out of its growth phase. Um, you have older, and a sign of growth, just for, for those who are going to go to some elementary economics, when your population starts to get really old and your working population, your working age people start to reduce and start to leave villages and go into cities and you start to form super, super cities, aka Tokyo, Shanghai, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Manila, that's a sign that you're moving from your kind of developing phase into okay, we've started, we've created lots of stuff. Now we're servicing these industries, right? Um, Africa is still in the phase before that. So it's still a very young continent in terms of its development. Now, why do we yeah, say this? Nigeria... Sports and population are, exactly, it's still so young. And Nigeria is at the heart of that. Why? Because it's the largest black country in the world. So the elections are so important because the, the potential with the right president for what Nigeria could look like in 10 years. No, we, 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 we would definitely, we would definitely get to, we'll definitely get to like a, a bit on the election coming up in Nigeria, but like another significant election took place somewhere else in the world. Um, yeah. Not quite this year, but it, the effects are being felt this year. And that is, or that was the election for, you know, the house of representatives in the United States. 
um, Kevin McCarthy has finally achieved his lifelong dream of becoming Speaker of the House of Representatives. And in order to achieve that dream, he had to sell out an arm, a leg, um, you know, and a and an inner like body part as well. I mean, um, 15, time, votes, 15 times was the charm. Yeah, 15, 15 times. Yeah, the votes, the votes to eventually like, you know, see him wield the gavel took 15 um, attempts. He apparently had to make a lot of compromises with um, far right elements in his party and is, you know, largely considered or I guess widely considered to be, you know, one of the weakest or, you know, he's expected to be ineffective essentially um, in delivering his caucus because he's at the mercy of any single like person. Um, one yeah. of the concessions that he had to grant is that it requires a one person, I guess, like, um, request to uh -huh. table a vote, you know, another speakership vote um, on his behalf. And basically, it, it was like, a, it was a disgrace. It was a shambles, um, you know, um, the, the spectacle that everyone had to watch. I guess, like, Dan, what did it look like to you guys at first upon? Um, I mean, when you... I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, you know, we've been this theater of political... Um, should we call it skullduggery, political uh, musical chairs? We've had three prime ministers in one year in 2022. So we can't really speak too much when it comes to... Yeah, yeah, I get that. We're not But at the moment, our current PM has done about three to four months. So we haven't had, you know, any uproar in terms of him being removed. However, there's been lots of scandals. And when I look at the... McCarthy situation, it took me back to Brexit because in Brexit times, we used to have one vote, like, the Conservatives had a minority government at that time, if memory serves, and they needed the help of a, a coalition party and that was the DUP for those who know, that's a party in Northern Ireland, which is a part of the United Kingdom, um, and there would be times when, like, one or two people would vote against and they would have to go and vote again so, we, I remember they voted on, like, the Brexit withdrawal bill many many times like over a period of nine months parliament was dissolved and constituted so the feeling was very very similar what was weird to me was that this was over 15 this was like in a 10-day period this was a two-week period or so or three maybe three weeks where you had votes every two days um and i think what it tells me is that the gop is in a really tricky period um, for them, they really need to consider the future, where the party is going to go. What are they going to do about Trump? He's a big, big problem, I think. Um, not just for the GOP, but for American politics. Like, what do you do with this guy that refuses to retire? Right? You know, you send him off to Mar-a-Lago. He takes all his confidential documents with him. Oh, allegedly. Sorry. Um, and then there's all these situations where He's coming back out, you know. He's attacking evangelicals. I saw today. Trump has, lost some, of his, Trump has lost some of his. He's lost some of his lost stuff. Yeah, and I think the rise of the Florida governor DeSantis is is obviously another factor there. We've spoken about that on the pod before. Our guy Bolsonaro is in Florida. Well, yeah, I, I saw that. I, I even heard he's getting some treatment on on your taxpayers' dollars. So you know, you should have a chat with your your electoral representatives about that. But um, no, yeah, the thing is that Trump. 
Trump, Trump wasn't able to deliver the speakership for McCarthy. He called no. some of those people and his calls didn't like move. Some of them went on TV, like Matt Gates, to say that, you know, they love Trump, blah, 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 but that mm. Trump doesn't always make the best personnel decisions. That look at Jeff Sessions, look at John Kerry, look at all the people that he hired that eventually betrayed him. And by betrayed him, they mean went to the New York Times or the media to talk about how actually Trump is a raging maniac. And like you know, they tried to save the country from him um, many times. Um, sticking to your, you know, your side of the pond, yes. a, a lot is going down. Rishi Sunak has kept himself out of the news, but obviously, like the UK is in the news for other reasons. Yeah, because one of your one of your favorite songs wrote a book, a very interesting book from everything that I've heard. I've not read the book. I don't plan on reading this book. I think he's one of he's now your favorite song. Though. He's your favorite song because he lives in California, doesn't he? No, but still, 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 he's 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 talking about how you know somebody made somebody cry, how mm. some cream reminded him of his mom, but he had to use the cream on his torture. Um, you know, and how like, um, I I think his brother you know assaulted him or something like that it's like it's 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 crazy yeah 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 um yeah you must be talking about prince harold windsor um or prince yeah, no, harold, the one is only um yeah i think spare obviously massive massive box office success in terms of it's now the guinness book of world records holder as the best-selling non-fiction book ever um in the uk it's sold out you know it, it's interesting because the fight with harry um, and Megan is against the press. I think most of their fight is primarily, if you distill it down, is against the press. Now, I haven't bought the book. Um, I understand it's about 15 hours. Audio is best, from what I hear. From the clips I've heard, he seems to deliver it with a level of panache. Harry is a very good speaker. Very, You can tell he's a very charismatic person. The way he delivers his words and the way he tells his stories. Flashpoints about his time in the army, vis-a-vis um, -vis the Taliban, led to a curious situation where the press here, primarily the Daily Mail, who his wife um, had a case against, um, as a, or associated newspapers, as they're called in the court documents, about her dad's letter, the letter she wrote her dad about the wedding, um, which was then made public. Um, that's kind of his main adversary. And the reason that his main adversary in terms of um, the media is obviously stemming from his mother's death. Um, so the late Princess Diana... Princess of Wales, um, who millions still love, you know, as Africans, as Nigerians, you know, she is the only princess that many moms will acknowledge, their sister, and she did obviously a lot of great work. And I think in the book, from what I've read, I've just read reviews, I've read there. comments, it's very much that Harry's Diana's son, right? And in terms of, he now feels that, okay, they were on the back foot for three, four years there, right? They were on the back foot, especially when they got um, <clears throat> they asked to work part-time, I think, as royals, and the, the monarchy was not having it. And obviously, they found themselves in Tyler Perry's house and all those kind of things. And, and things like that. There's, um, I think, it, one thing it does tell me is that it pays to have powerful friends. Like, it pays to have friends with money. And you have to look at how they've kind of flipped the script on the media because they were saying <clears throat> Harry's book wasn't going to sell, blah, blah, blah. He, his pre-sales alone, like... Paid back the royalties. I mean, like it's it's selling. You you you're giving that it's selling. Well, what do you make of the critique that the critique. this yeah. sort of validates 
the accusations of like Harry and Meghan that like you know one way or the other they are in it for like the fame as well. Um, yeah, I've been expecting I mean, them to go to go gently into the night if they have yeah. slandered, maligned, they have a right to speak out. But like they are they are creatures of you know this social media virality era, and they are definitely milking um, you know this their status as you know um, Harry and Meghan. Firstly, um, Harry, Harry and Meghan, Meghan is worth. Harry and Meghan are mega celebrities. Like, however you want to look at it, yeah. they are celebrities. Now, I watch. Yeah, they're, they're, they're celebrities in large parts, you know, because of everything that has happened. Like, it's not you can't uh, you just take yeah, away. yeah, no, no. There's definitely yeah, you can't take away that. That is the story. The story is of a prince who married an America. No and doubt, fell out with his family yeah. and left the royal family, and everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. is taking sides. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not, you know, that's, I don't agree, I agree with all of that, but however, I think there's a few, like, mixed, there's a few ingredients that make it extra tasty, so I watch Suits, a lot of, I know a lot of, kind of, 18 to 40 year old people watch Suits, and Megan was, on her side of the pond, quite popular, I would say, maybe even more so in Canada, because obviously it's filmed in Canada, those who don't know, Suits is actually filmed in Canada, so it was filmed in Toronto, and she had a she had a cult following. Let's let's be real. She had a cult following. Obviously, yeah, she was, was nowhere near an A list. She was nowhere near. She was nowhere near. You know, we're talking. She was probably okay. like a, a C C lister. You know, I'll say she wasn't an A lister. She wasn't Hollywood. That's she wasn't was Hollywood. Be. No, I'm just being reasonable. But that that that's still she was still mm. she had a profile. Now, Harry obviously in the UK has been a media magnet. One thing people not to understand about the royal family. And the media is that they are like UK people are obsessed about class. It's actually not um, the intersectionality in the US is about um, where race is concerned is usually race within the facet of um, hierarchy. So race within like est- relationships. So established relationships, I would call it. So the relationship between white and black was all the narrative around, obviously, stemming from slavery. Racism is the dividing line in the US. Jim Crow, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the UK, there's an intersectionality with class here that we have that you don't quite have because, obviously, you're obviously a Republican, you know, you're a republic. So the idea of the feudal society has kind of been, to an extent, it's still, you know, you still have vestiges of it, but here it's still alive. We still have lords here. We still have, we still have, you know, people who are empire, um, adulated individuals. We still have class society. We have Benedict Cumberbatch who can trace his ancestry to a slave plantation in Barbados as of today. So this is not even like a historical thing. His great grandfather was a slave owner for you know just stuff like that. So the UK has very very visceral links. Why do I say that? When you look at the royal family, for a lot of um, people they represent for the UK you know it's still one of the longest you had one of the longest serving queens so the, there was a bit of prestige for the non non-colonized people I must stress so those who are colonized obviously look at it from a slightly different angle right and I think that's where Harry's mom is so and Harry's lineage I'll say has that extra element of support from non-colonized people because they see it as okay Harry's mom specifically and now harry are trying to use their 
status for good. Now, I'm not commenting on whether they are actually doing that. I know he's done stuff with HIV, Invictus Games. So that's for wounded veterans. So I'm not going to comment on that, but I'm just, that's kind of the, the, the way people view Harry. And obviously with the Megan thing, on your side of the pond, I feel like, yeah, the story is very much a fairy tale. But in the UK, what Megan has done is Megan has said, here's your cherished institution. It ain't all that. Like, I'm leaving it. You know, it's... She gets a lot of hate <laughs> in the UK, though. Like, she gets a she lot does, of hate because she's right told them... Very visceral hate. Think about it. Like, here's this um, mixed-race individual, biracial. Do you like to use the term over there? And she's essentially coming to something that a lot of girls dreamed to be princesses. You, like, in a lot of countries, being a princess is not... Like, imagine... Like, it's not a possibility. Uh, it's not a possibility. But in the UK, you can genuinely become... Mm a princess like i'm not a princess where you're just like in cabius's palace in the village no no yeah yeah proper like you're a millionaire like you're wearing tiaras and that and you're going out to events like they're giving you so the uk monarchy is very real she ascended to that role she was basically like third in line wife like if you think about it she was at the apex as close as she could be without being married to King William. You know, you're married to his younger brother. Very powerful royal. And obviously, my African-American sisters, they don't take, they don't take shit. So, like, she got in there, she has her own mind. And I celebrate that. We have to celebrate a woman with her own mind. But when she got in there, you know, they wanted her to fall into place. People don't know this. Catherine was bullied, like, to become who she was. Like, she was seen as a commoner. When she got in there, she had to be molded and Catherine? Catherine is um William's wife, Prince William's wife, the Duchess of Cornwall. So like people don't realize that there's a class element, but obviously the racism just shone through um against Meghan and ultimately the treatment about her mental health, I think, is the nail in the box, really. That that to me is the most actionable misdemeanor because mm. Somebody's coming to you talking about suicidal thoughts. She was talking about depressive thoughts. She was talking about feeling caged. She was talking about feeling alone. Things like that. You think know, like, aren't they basically like persona non grata, like in the UK? Well, this is the funny thing. So, like, they love writing. We have a lot of tabloids here. You don't have that. You don't have much of a tabloid culture. Mm. Australia has a similar thing with us, but like, they would literally post about Megan every day. Like you will get a tabloid newspaper, and there's a yeah, Megan. Se- there's a Megan section online. Yeah. Like they're obsessed with, and now it's funny because now that Harry's come out and Harry's come to the fore, Harry's the one telling his story, right? He's the one saying, "This is what happened with my brother." Da, 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 da. I think it's good for Megan. It's kind of like showed that it wasn't just Megan suffering, and I think yeah. that was important. That was very, very important, and I would argue Harry should have done this earlier, to be honest, because. For a long time, the argument used to be, oh, the tail was wagging the dog, a.k.a. Megan was the one Megan. pushing yeah. Harry to kind of rebel. Yeah, Harry's yeah, always been rebellious. It takes a long time to write, you know? Well, he could have said that. In that interview, I thought he was quite guarded, for example, in his Oprah, Oprah interview. I feel like, yeah, he dropped a few bombshells, but he could have been a bit more... But I get it's difficult. This, this is his dad and yeah, his brother. No, no, right? yeah, it's yeah, very easy to say... Because, like, people come out very unrealistically and, like, oh, condemn the monarchy. Like, 
bro, that's his family. <laughs> he's not going to come out and be like, yeah, my dad's a raging racist. racist. <laughs> like, he's not going to say that. That's his, that's, choosing... that's his family. Do you know he's, what I mean? He's choosing his wife, you know, he's choosing Megan. Exactly. It's a big it's deal. It's nice. a big deal. It's not easy. These are people, you know, he talked about his brother punching him. Look, you have a brother. I don't have a brother, but you know, I've had I've had altercations, you know, with my sibling. Yeah. And we know that, you know, cousin that okay, Sometimes I thought it gets, it gets yeah, yeah, family, yeah, conflict. Family, okay, yeah, family, family, those things happen, you know. Um, so the book, I think, what Harry is trying to achieve, and I think what, you know, aside from all the salacious detail about his virginity and things, I didn't think that was necessary. Things sure. like that was just not necessary. But um, I think he's managed to put across all his secrets in a way where they can't be used against him. That's the clever thing he's done. This is a tell-all about Harry. I've exposed myself. So what are you going to expose? That's interesting. That's that's an interesting angle. Right? He's taken away the media's power against him. I, the way I see it, Harry's told his story on his terms. And this is the mistake that the institution made against Harry and Meghan. They underestimated their ability to take control of the narrative. And ultimately, what you have to remember about Meghan Markle is she's an actress. She was born in the... She understands the industry, right? She has friends who understand... Are you saying, are you saying she's acting? No! But I'm saying she knows how to handle the media in a way that somebody else wouldn't have known how to deal with them, right? Or she, the media is more sympathetic towards her because she's one of Sympathetic? Them. Bro, they shed it. They, they tear her to shreds. You no, know, I mean, uh, no, I'm just trying to... They attacked her. I'll give you an example. They, they attacked her. They're in a position now. Um, I think I'm just talking about formulating a strategy to deal with it, right? So you, you might have seen... Um, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary. Have you seen that? The that, that's what I'm getting at now. There's yeah. a Netflix do- documentary. They got to go on opera. Like they, they, they yeah, she knew how to like, formulate. Yeah, they, they, they knew how to set up the narrative. That's what I mean. When I talk about her being an actress, I'm talking about being part of the entertainment industry. So she understands how to do good PR, right? That's what I mean. Um, you don't fake being depressed. I don't. You don't fake being suicidal. You don't fake. The the you if you look at those pictures, if you go and streamline, check the dates when Harry's talking about her issues, she looks you can see haunted look in her in her eyes. Like when she was pregnant, the miscarriage is not, you know, you don't think a miscarriage she miscarried, right? That 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 comes as a result of stress. That's one of the one of the causes of that. So I wish them all the well. Oh sorry, I wish them well and all the best. Um they have a beautiful family. They're doing, like I said, I mentioned about the HIV. I think they gave about $1.5 million to um, kind of HIV research. Um, they, they've given a lot of time towards wounded veterans, you know, and veterans are some of the most, you know, just romantically sad people in this world because they fight for their country and then they get abandoned by their country, wounded, you know, whatever the ideal, whether or not you agree with the ideal why they go to war, these people go to war and they come back broken. They come back shredded. PTSD. And the governments don't take care of them. You sent them to war. You took these young men and women. You give them orders. And I think what Harry does with Invictus Games is great. It gives them a purpose. You know, creates a, a whole brotherhood. Obviously, he was in the army as well. So I think, yeah, that would be my narrative. My key point would be Harry's narrative is what I would say. Harry told the story the way he yes, wanted yes. to. Um, and in a way, you know, he's won this round, definitely, because 
the newspapers before he released the book, they say, oh, it will spark he, for him to make up the money he was given for his release. So you, people might know this. When you sign a book deal, you get an advance, essentially. Like, yeah, just sign it like your Nike deal, your mm-hmm. shoe deal, whatever. But for books, it's usually quite hard. And he, he got about, he got tens of millions. So, like, he'd have had to sell a lot. And he has obviously smashed it. But at the time, they were like, oh, he's not going to sell out enough. You know, um, there's not going to be enough, whatever. And obviously, he's smashing records. So, on that, on that, on the, on the face of it, you know, the UK media has taken an L. A little bit. I mean, they were challenging, they challenged things in the books. Um, it got a bit ridiculous when they were trying to say, oh, he shouldn't have spoken about the Taliban issues. Um, and then they quoted a Taliban leader just to discredit Harry. Like, that just shows you how petty they are. It just shows you, like, you, you created the war on terror. You were there arms in arms with your brother America, UK. And then now, just to discredit Harry, right, because you don't like him, you're quoting the Taliban leader, your sworn enemies. You're quoting them no, to try and like say like, he's, he's going against the very entity itself, like the monarchy. Like you, you, it's it's scorched earth now. Basically, you know, he he, they can never come back from from this. I guess like the relationship is probably irreparably damaged. Maybe a couple of years down the line, we'll see something happen when um, what's his face, the older guy, um, their father. Um, dies. Um, but speaking of, I guess, like you know, people who are under like stress or like a lot of pressure, um, and the ways I guess like they can react to it. We saw something pretty strange um, for our times. Um, we saw a leader, you know, voluntarily step down from their position because they felt like they couldn't, um, you know, keep up or deliver what I guess like the people needed. The Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, resigned um, a couple of days ago, basically saying that like she, you know, the people deserve the best, and she didn't feel like she could give it um, anymore, so she was stepping down. Like, uh, how how did you how did you react to that? Dan? Well, I think for me, the first thing was obviously you know immense respect for Jacinda Ardern. She's been the Prime Minister of New Zealand for seven years. She's had a particularly tough tenure, I think. Um, I look back to the Christchurch attacks, I believe, um, were under her where there was a gunman who shot um, across a number of uh, mosques, I believe, a couple of mosques of of Muslim centres, killing um, tens of people. There was obviously the earthquake um, situation that she had to deal with um, while she was prime minister. COVID, she had to deal with. um, War in Russia as well. So she's had a particularly tough time of it. Um, You know, and... New Zealand's a beautiful country I've always wanted to visit as a fan of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Game of Thrones even. I don't know if Game of Thrones filmed on there, but obviously beautiful scenery, beautiful kind of really chilled people as well. You know, from what I've heard, Kiwis that I've met, very, very nice people. Um, I think for her, being a woman, she she was one of the main leaders on the world stage, I would say, in terms of I'm leader first and I'm woman second and her mother as well and i understand i remember when she had a child and she took maternity leave and stuff like that so i just think normalizing you know the the great impact of good leadership forget the fact that she was a woman she was strong she supported universal human rights she was a strong advocate of the trodden down in society she was a strong advocate of being welcoming to to those who might be different to you um 
And I think she leaves a great legacy. And I think in, even, in, even in her leaving, she kind of says, I can't give you the best that you deserve as a people. And I think, again, that's great leadership because many leaders, you know, will hold on. You know, look at Paul Bia of Cameroon. Um, there was a video circling the internet. And I, 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 I want to share tears from my continent because he lives in Switzerland most of the time. He didn't even know where he was. Um, he's, he should be resting in a home. Right, and, and with all due respect, this is a man who needs help to walk and to get around and to know where he is. He has no business being the president of a country, and it's just things like that where you look at it and you have Jacinda Ardern on the other hand, she's 43, I believe, isn't she? Or 44, and she's saying, I can't give you my 100%. I'm stepping aside so that someone can do it better, someone who has the energy and the freshness of mind to do it can do it. And we talk about mental health all the time. It's the catchword of, of the 2020s, isn't it? Mental health, you know, being sensitive, sharing about your feelings, call someone if you feel down, talk to your friends, check up on your friends, all this fantastic stuff. But how many people actually say, you know what, I can't give my 100% in this. Let me step back and let somebody else do it for my well-being and for the betterment of my people. So she's a fantastic example to the world. I think she'll have a great legacy. Yeah, well... She had to do with a lot of issues internally i'm not i'm not gonna bottle you know I've, i mean I've, yeah we've we, we, a lot but she, she yeah, dealt with a lot of national yeah. pressures she dealt with a lot of in terms especially in terms of covid she had a lot of um can we say right wing um and globalists ideology um uh, against her um and i'm not saying she's perfect i'm looking at her from afar but no yeah but um, let's let's do some some real politic here because mm-hmm. uh, everything that you've talked about um, basically the, the the I guess belief is that while she is popular internationally you know because she's a feminist icon um, woman leader and you know she speaks very well she seems to be you know, a competent person um, locally and domestically in in her you know, in New Zealand, she's not very popular and that affects the party and she's making a decision that is the best thing for the party and that's something that I would recommend that Joe Biden consider. Um, that's something that Tinubu, for example, should have considered for APC and or article. So, like, I mean, let's let's consider the, the real politic, you know, angle to You know, I can dance with the politicians. Um, as we, never see, as we never see... <laughs> We never see presidents or leaders who effectively like, act as head of parties. We never see them act I mean, this strategic. People always I, like act out of their own self-interest and kind of like you know drag the party down with them. I mean, you say, the, the last one I can think of is Theresa May, but she actually got elbowed out. But in a way, she kind of tactically allowed. She realized her time was coming to an end, and she didn't fight. Boris Johnson in the way that, and I think she told some of her wing of the party to stand down, and that kind of allowed the Tories, obviously with Brexit and stuff. So she tactically kind of she was defeated, yes, but she she kind of allowed a, another wing of the party to take over. With Jacinda Ardern, you're 100 correct. The Labour Party in New Zealand have been coming under some strain. I think the, the, it's, there's a headline that's um, very popular in the UK. They always refer to it whenever it's election time. It's the, it's the economy, stupid. So it's all about... I, I think her main issues have come from, unfortunately, the global forces, but specifically New Zealand-specific issues. 
with the economy have really affected her tenure latterly. Um, and obviously with the rising increase in fuel, um, New Zealand, a lot of people might not know, imports a lot of things because obviously it's an island. And for them, they're like <laughs> at the corner of the earth. So they have specific issues with tariffs and things like that. So anything that affects the global order will affect them quite a lot. If you think about it in terms of the cost of importing things, they rely a lot on um, quite a specialized service economy, obviously highly educated and stuff, but lack of jobs and things like that is another issue as well within that economy. So I think that's been her Achilles heel. Um, on the Biden front, I think it's slightly different. I think Biden just suffers from an image issue. I think he has a big image issue. He has a big kind of lack of belief. I don't know how to put it. Is The thing that won him the presidency is the same thing that's kind of making affecting him. He's just very lukewarm, I think, in terms of the public perception, in terms of even when you talk about progressives. Because I think in the economic side, when I look at the economy, compared to what we're suffering here, do you know we're having strikes every day in the UK? This is, this is you know, the US think, you think you've got it bad. You think well, you've got it bad, but we, it's not Kestar. <laughs> was obviously there just, you know, biding his time, waiting for the tourists to explode. But the UK is going through strikes every other day. We have nurses on strike. We have firemen on strike from tomorrow. We have um, thousands of members of Unison, GMB, the Unite Trade Unions, walking out of their jobs. We have teachers on strike. We have um, hospital staff on strike in Liverpool. Ambulance, ambulance is on strike. So, like, people are having acute health issues that cannot be tended to because there's huge issues here with cost of living and this issue of inflation, right? And obviously they, they've tried to tie they've tried to tie it to Russia and the war. However, the UK for the last kind of five, six years has had issues anyway of the costs of salary, sorry, cost of living not being matched by salaries. And what that means is that even your key workers, quote unquote, as they call them during the pandemic, find themselves in deficit. They're not able to and then trust Liz Trust came in and blew up and quasi and came in and blew us a 7.4 billion a 7.4 billion pound hole in the economy, which <laughs> means that fiscally you're on the you're 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 already on the back foot. Now you're just you know behind the eight ball. The IMF was commenting on the UK. The IMF, the IMF, they comment on countries like with all due respect, um, Somalia, and you know. Azerbaijan and places like this <laughs> and Ghana apparently Ghana latterly you know the UK is unheard of for the IMF to be committed on the UK's fiscal policy so the UK has been through a particularly rough period and right now people are striking university lecturers are striking for 18 days in the next couple of months you know Everybody, a general strike is not far off, I don't think. Because no, so are, you, are you saying we should soon to step down for the greater good? No, now this is the thing. The Tory, the UK has this issue where there's a fixed term parliament act. So once you win it, there's no obligations calling an election until five years later. Now, the Tories got in under Boris Johnson in 2019. Tories are conservatives, for those who don't know about the allegories. But yeah. And Rishi Sunak currently, if he, the Tories are very unpopular in the UK. Very, I think they're pulling at 28% last time I checked, right? 
they're on track to lose about 280 MPs. Okay, they are going to be decimated at the next election. Unless the economy does a miraculous about turn and house prices, you know, steady out and mortgage interest rates particularly are skyrocketing at the moment. So Rishi has to just sit tight. I don't think he can, I don't think he's going to resign. I know will he want to. I don't, uh, you know, he's under, he's, he's been dogged by a number of scandals at the moment. So Nadim Zahawi, one of his ministers, um, had to pay back millions of pounds to the Her Majesty's Tax and Revenue Customs, you know, agency because of some uh, irregularities in tax avoidance um, with offshore trusts and the like. Um, there's been issues with Boris Johnson coming out, taking some loans from the Director General of the D- Guaranteeing, having his loan guaranteed by, uh, you know, a, a, an exec at the BBC. The Tory party, it gives the whiff of, well, now we're out. We're going to take all we can. We're going to grab all we can. We're from the continent. We understand that when it's time to go, when you feel like your time is up in government, you know, you just, <laughs> you stack those, <laughs> you stack those peas, essentially. Um, but unfortunately, lives of people are, are, are struggling. So when you talk about Biden, I think you have a very valid point. Jacinda Ardern, the left-leaning of centre government suffer. When there's, whenever there's economic issues, they suffer from the inability to control the narrative because they're never able to make it about the economy. They're never able to say, this is the economy. It's always turned into an issue of immigration. It's always turned into an issue of um, class wars or it's always turned into cultural yeah, Because it's harder to explain now. Because it's harder, exactly. And progressives around the world just need to get smarter. And one example, they need to look at Lula, right? They need to look at Brazil. Look at what Lula did. Lula turned, the, turned it on Bolsonaro and said, he turned Lula on the... That he almost removed from his own house. Exactly. Well, that, that was, I mean, he did it, but he did it by the skin of his teeth, right? And it's a situation where, wasn't he in prison for a while? I'm pretty sure he went to prison for a while. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, yeah. You know. So you kind of have to turn the narrative of, you have to make most people realize that they're not the 1%. Most people actually don't realize that they're not the 1%. When you talk about, for example, let's talk about tax avoidance. Tax avoidance is something that you can only afford to do if you're not on a pay EYE scheme. Pay as you earn. Mm. <laughs> Most of us have our tax taken. We don't we don't get to you choose. Have to have, you have to have a lot of money to you have, to, you, you have to have a lot of tax to avoid. Exactly. So when most people most mm. people actually don't have that mentality of actually hang on. These policies don't benefit most of the people I live and I communicate with. Only a certain percentage of society gets to avoid tax. And when people start to realize, okay, commensurate to how much they're earning and how much they're giving to society, corporation tax isn't high enough, for example. Why are we not taxing more on corporations? If they tax them a bit more, you wouldn't need to tax all of us X amount. They they should be subsidizing us until the majority understands and come to that, and it usually takes a lot of pain, suffering, striking, angst for people to get there. Unfortunately, I mean, uh, let's let's, let, yeah. let's stay there. Let, let let's stay on pain, suffering, strike, and because we want to talk about Nigeria now. Oh gosh, um, you know. <laughs> I said a tweet about a guy in traffic. He said, "If you don't know who to vote for, imagine you're sat in your Toyota Corolla, and you're." Mm. You guys, you're on, um, you're on uh, what's it called? Let's say 
I call on Joe Rude. Sorry for those who don't know me, Gus. You're, 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 you're one mile, you're one kilometer in the line and you're sweating and you see a poster of Tinobu and APC. And then you move about five meters and then you see one of Peter Obi. He said, if you don't know who to vote for, I can't help you. And that is just the suffering every day that people go through in that country just to live from day to day. You can't really, it's hard to explain. No, obviously, 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 if you don't be paying attention, you know, I don't know what you're doing because, like, that, that was saying, I think, before we hit record, that the election coming up in Nigeria, or I think earlier in the episode, is the most important election in the whole world. Yeah. The most important election that's ever existed, you know, if, if there was ever a time for a group of people to come together to make the correct decision about their future, the time is now. And Nigeria, or Nigerians, are presented with three choices Atiku, Tinumbu, and Peter Obi. A lot of us, those of us that talk to ourselves, and we know ourselves, we all like Peter Obi. We are, we are being told that there is a mass of people out there who like the other candidates. Uh. Either that, or through hook or crook, or what Dan and his acolytes like to call quote unquote structure. That who am I? We'll be able to make votes appear. Can I just say, I'm an obedient kind of You're constructing this is even a straw man, this one is a cloud man, a vapor man. I am an obedient, I am for Peter Obi. Peter Obi is my presidential candidate of choice. All I've just said in the past is there are structures or the way the election is run, let me say that, the way the election is run requires him to have people on ground to verify results. That's how simp- I've simplified my message. That's all I'm saying. And it seems to me now, and you've always said to me, don't worry about the how, worry about, you know, worry about the what, don't worry about the how. Okay, fair enough. Now I can say I'm seeing grassroots, actual involvement. People, I'm seeing localized areas where people are for, people are putting things in place now i just want to i I, the way i see it there's a silent part of the voters that are not being heard right now there's a silent part of the the electorate that are not talking that are not on social media that are not in those rallies that are not talking on tv you know there are people i know who have alternative votes let, 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 let's put a button in this in this part of the discussion and, and you know examine it for a while because you're making a very serious claim that the entire internet, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever, all the news stations, all the media outlets in Nigeria are mm. not able to capture the spectrum of sentiments, I guess, that are out there on candidates. Is that what you're suggesting? Because every day you turn on channels. AIT and not ninety eight channels, arise, whatever. You you hear people who are for or against any one of these candidates. Um, you get word from the streets, and even, even the Twitter itself. There's a spectrum of people who have like there are all these people who work for the APC government, you know, or who work for Atiku, who are out there spreading their message. So so we are hearing from them. Um, it's a question of whether or not you know the Nigerian on the streets is going to vote for. Um, um, Peter will be like we want. You obviously, you know, hear people as well who are interviewed and say, "I would vote for 
um, um, Tinubu because he's a Yoruba person. You understand? Or yep. stuff like that. Yep. And, you know, in coming episodes, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, have, have a panel. We're, we're going to really, like, spend the entire month of February, like, leading up to, um, you know, the election as things, you know, come to a close. But, like, just to run through some rapid-fire things that have happened um, in the course of, like, in the recent, I guess, like, month or or months or so. Um, Obasanjo endorsed um, Peter Obi, um, you know, yep. Everybody went to Obasanjo's residence to seek his endorsement. Wait, can I just say something about General Lucia, former General Lucia Obasanjo? Yes, it's great. He's an elder spokesman. He's someone that people respect in Nigeria. Very well respected in Nigerian politics, not just Nigerian politics. Would but argue politics. But Obasanjo is part of Nigeria's problem. Let, let, and, and two things can be true. Let's be so... And I, I feel like people ain't been honest enough. Like, we gotta be real, bro. We gotta be real. This is someone who sought a third term. This is factos, factoids. I'm not, this is not hearsay, right? Going against a constitution that was so tenuously drafted eight years before. On what basis? And part of that, and in terms of there was a developing fraction within himself, he should have been grooming whether or not we like a tickle or not, or da 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 Obasanjo should have been focusing on grooming the next leader. But instead, he was so focused on trying to grab another four years. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, we're not here for dictatorships. We're here for eight years, perform, get out. Or four years, if you perform, re-elect you. If you don't perform, you get out. Accountability has to be the watchword. Accountability. And at the end of the day, Obasanjo... Let's not re-examine... No, no, we're not going to re-examine that. But I'm just saying, like, he when we when we're praising him for... You know, we can say, oh, well done on you. you he said, you know, he obviously wrote, uh, he wrote uh, a little essay as well. About, yeah, he wrote a letter. About, he wrote oh, a local letter. letter. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote a letter yeah. to Nigerians endorsing Peter Obi effectively. And, you know, people who were, Pastor Skiamo was on TV, um, some PDP spokesman for Article was on TV as well, making the same points that you're making now, that Obasanjo you know, does not have the standing for one reason or the other because it's part of the problems that Nigeria and Nigerians have faced. I didn't say you didn't have standing. I didn't say that. I say, one, Obasanjo was a decent president. He might have sought a third term, but he ultimately, you know, um, surrendered power. Um, he His endorsement, I think, was sought by all the presidential candidates and would have been bandied about by any of them if they had gotten it. I think Tinubu went as far as claiming that he had secured Obasanjo's endorsement when he hadn't, um, causing Obasanjo and Obasanjo's team to have to come out and clarify that actually we did not endorse um, um, Mr. Emilokong. <laughs> Obasanjo referenced directly in his letter that that's what White said that we need. Obasanjo's message is important. It's important for um, Nigerians to hear. Um, no matter what anybody says about how Obasanjo governed or who Obasanjo was, um, it's important that he makes this um, endorsement. And, you know, the, the question becomes, I guess, what you're saying on the day, whether or not Peter Obi has the facility to monitor the votes being counted. I would suggest that if you need to stand there and monitor the votes, you've already lost. You've already lost. Um, what, do you, what do you make of, like, the, the PVC situation? Because I, I believe there's a conspiracy. I believe... There's clearly, yeah, the PVC. So yeah, the, conspiring to deprive Nigerians of their franchise. PVC is an um, 
again, it's a specific voting card that is required for Nigerian elections. Now, on one side, the argument with the onerous process to get the PVC is essentially you, you have to register for a national, it's a national ID card, but also with other stipulations. So it's not something that you can get done and get printed on the same day. You have to do it, register for it, come back, pick it up. And in terms of picking it up, certain parts of the country where people might not originate from. So in terms of if you're from a different ethnic group and you live and reside in a different area, it's been made extremely difficult to collect your PVC. So for example, if you're Igbo and you're living in Lagos, Lagos is a Yoruba state. And if you're Igbo and, okay, for example, maybe you've been, you've obviously lived there for a long time, people have been born there, uh, Igbo, but the fact that they live in an area where maybe it was populate or whatever, that particular ward will see very slow issuance or non-issuance of PVCs. I think, obviously, in a state like Lagos, which is an APC state, if they conceive that, okay, Pitalbi could get a lot of votes here, one way that they could legitimately frustrate people is just make it so difficult for them to get their PVCs in such a way where people give up, people don't bother coming to get them, and you end up with I think I think Lagos is, I think Lagos is going to be sensational. Like I, I I think Lagos is going to be such an interesting place to monitor because there are people in Lagos who have a lot of influence. Mm. And, you know, I guess franchise will be more difficult to to rob than others. Um Lagos would also have a lot of eyes on it because Lagos is one of the most populated places. Um Lagos is also a place that I, I think leans heavily or large part of Lagos lean heavily towards Peter Obi because of the constituency I guess that lives there. But it's supposed to be an APC or Tinubu stronghold. So it's going to be a very fascinating um, um march. Yeah, no, I think it's gonna be a very, very interesting time. Um you know keep supporting, keep getting your PVCs people, we keep pushing the message. You know, I talk to talk to family, talk to friends and you know all just hoping for a change for Obi to come in because um, the economy is not great, structurally things aren't great um, in terms of public services, in terms of standard of living, in terms of forex, <laughs> for God's sake, in terms of um, the cost of living, um, food, um, ongoing electricity issues, um, power cuts, which seem to be a way of life for a Nigerian. So there's so many things that um, need to change. And you know, he was over at Chatham House last week. So Chatham House is um, obviously in the UK. And it's kind of, I think they also have like a policy think tank kind of thing associated with it. And, you know, he was, he dealt very eruditely with some questions. You know, there's some tricky points for him. Obviously, he's of Igwe extraction. So there was talk about, okay, why don't you condemn IPOP, um, a proscribed terrorist group um, by Nigerian government? Um and obviously, it's a tricky point for him because these are people who are of the same ethnic background as him. So whilst they are fighting for, and he kind of, you know, he can his answer struck with me. He said, IPOP is only able to flourish because the country is in such a state. And when we talk about all these things, you know, it comes back, it's the economy is stupid. If, if young people come out of university and they have no jobs, they have no prospects, um, they feel that they have to do desperate things to get money. They feel that the society is debased. Then 
you see more and more of them turn towards these agitators, right? When they promise you a better life in your own country, yeah, right? You, it's human nature to want what everyone wants, wants, wants what's best for them and their and their loved ones. So, if someone's telling you, "I can make your life better," we just have to leave this entity and form our own. And he also name checked agitators in the southwest, those in you know, kind of well. That's how Boko Haram quote-unquote started obviously it's morphed into something totally different just a you know a total you know religious not jobs so they started out saying oh we want our own enclave essentially so he was saying make the country better let me ask you people want to come back as well to the country let, let me ask you one last last question you know, sure. um before we close what do you make of the critique that um i can't remember who was making this critique i don't know it was sanity or something where i saw it um that the the parties in, that currently you know um, have the majority in the Senate and in the House, I guess, like belong to the two um, you know predominant parties that exist yep. in Nigeria. Yeah. Even if Peter Abiy were to eventually you know by some miracle, glorious miracle, become the president um, of Nigeria, he would be stifled at every turn um, and would be unable to get anything done because he would be frustrated by. Um, in the members of the party who would either seek to impeach him for frivolous reasons or frustrate him such that he's an unpopular one-term president. Well, this is what I was trying to say to you about structure. This is part of the structure argument because, as you will know from the US, you can have an amazing president with great ideas, but there's the legislature, right? There's a the lower house, House of Representatives, and the upper house, the House of Senate. So, it's very unlikely Peter Obi could, like you say, come in as this kind of third-way independent party, gloriously, like he said, coming in. But then he has to pass laws. Um, his response in the Chatham House interview was quite interesting. To this, he said that if the country is seen to be improving and the majority of the people have his support, the legislators would not counteract that needlessly. Now, we understand how the nature of politics is. If he's doing well and he has positive imagery, they are less likely to counteract him. Now, I thought that was a bit politically naive because he's kind of supposing that he will be allowed to even succeed. Also quite lacking in specifics. And he was quite lacking in specifics because I think it's really one of those things he doesn't really want to be dealing with now. And I think he has to be tactful with it because he will offer... Ultimately, he's going to have to compromise. That's the answer. That's actually the answer. He's going to have to find a way to be friends mm. with his enemies. Now, and that's why ultimately I think, even though he's left the PDP, who are the opposition party in Nigeria, he will ultimately need their support <laughs> if he was ever to become president. Because I've always said this from day one, Labour Party are not going to win enough senatorial seats to be able to help him pass through even House of Representatives. Like, he's going to... St- He's going to need allies if he, as a president, if 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 he opens himself up to either of the two parties, I think he tarnishes his credentials. Uh-huh. And, and there is that's America. that's uh, Peter Obi's biggest problem in terms of nah, actual, nah, governance. He has to be, actual governance. Like, when, when, what, I, what I was getting at with like specifics was that what exactly can the president do without? Oh, so executive orders and stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that what, what exactly things. What, what is the purview? He can change now, the culture. Now, 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 the the other hand of that, the, the retort that I saw some people have on Twitter was that, well, you know, Peter Obi is the president; he can use executive orders, blah blah blah. 
I would say that Nigerians should keep in mind that Nigerians should keep in mind that one of the problems that we currently have is that power is too centralized in Asorok and in Abuja. And we don't need a situation where by virtue of Peter Obi's special circumstance, he decides to abrogate more power towards the presidency um, because he needs to do you know, the right thing for us. Um, it's something that we're going to have to, you know, really worry with. Watch and, and see. I think thinking about it, I guess like, you know, yeah. Thinking about it, I think there is an out for him. There is an out. And it's quite possible because we've seen this in Nigerian politics. It's a massive decampment to Labour Party should he win. So I think that's a possibility mm. because if you look at the nature of Nigerian politics, moving across party lines is actually quite normal. It's not... Um, as Nigerian politics are not ideologically based, right? It's not about ideology, it's about really about, it's all results orientated. So if Obi was to win under the Labour Party banner, you would see a number of governors and he needs, and I think that's why this whole five governors thing is so important for him because he really needs to have a, essentially, he needs to carve out a substantial amount of support in the form of, um, and there will be there will be people who will decamp. If he won, there will be people who will decamp. Definitely, you know, if we're talking about like in the southwest and southwest region, maybe not so much, but in the south-south and the southeast regions, you would see a lot of decampment to the Labour Party. Now, it would be a case of how much, and again, this is it, how much can he garner universally? This is it. How much of that support can he... So even if he doesn't even have... He will never have a majority in Senate or representatives. I doubt he would. But can he have enough of a number where they're able to push certain agendas forward? Because realistically, you can't just sit there as a president and sign executive orders. There are listed items. We're not going to get into that today. You know, we'll come towards the end of the no, part. I mean, yeah, like we, 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 there are items that you know, are not executively order in Nigerian politics. It's just like in the US. We, we, <laughs> There's we things would explore like the landscape for... For Peter Obi's, you know, election, the election that is coming up, what his presidency or not may look like, what the country would look like in the aftermath of, you know, the election, depending on who wins. Um, yeah. Have a series of what the airports will look like. Every... Let's get some yeah. tourist hotspots. Let's, you know, let's get let's get the beaches going. Let's get the tourism. Let's get the hiking spots. Let's get the natural game reserves going. You know, let, let's become Wakanda. Let's, let, you know. Nah, just, yeah, make this, make this podcast your destination for... Exactly. Stay tuned. As it's, as it's coming up, um, you know, with updates on, on what's going on, how you should think about things, how we see things. Um, and, and this has been fun. You know, we hope that 2023 um, is a great year for everyone. Um, Dan, a final word before we sign off. Yeah, no, thank you very much for listening to today's episode. Stay locked in. Like Statesman X said, you you know, all through February we're going to be talking Nigerian politics, the lead up to the election. So stay tuned, watch out. We have some exciting guests. We have some, you know, charged conversation as always, some interesting debates. So stay locked in. Please do share, like, comment, and subscribe um, accordingly. And we'll see you on the next episode. Nice. Bye, guys.